0: but uh, our lesson this morning, this May 18th, our lesson this morning is why children don't take communion. The text is Acts chapter 2 verse 39 which reads as follows. It says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say, and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear the message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, last Sunday, Sister Allen's grandson, Dennis, asked me, why can't kids take communion? Now, that is a good question. Why can't kids take communion? We let them drink the grape juice and eat the crackers after the service is over, So why can't they just eat and drink along with us adults? Is there something in the Bible that says that kids are not allowed to take communion? Actually, no. No one is prohibited from taking communion. Anyone that meets the biblical qualifications can do so regardless of their age. In our text, Acts 2.39, Peter says that the promises that Jesus Christ gives us are for both adults and children. He says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. So let's talk about communion. Now, the first communion ceremony was near the end of Jesus Christ's life, just before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and then to the cross during the Jewish ceremony of the Passover. But to understand the purpose of communion, let's look back at Bible history. Now, you may remember from the story of Moses that before Moses was born, the Pharaoh, who was the king in Egypt, decided that there were too many Jews in Egypt and that a good way to reduce the number of Jews would be to kill all the male babies born to the Jews. But one particular woman didn't want her baby killed. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 8 records, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi, so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. So not only was the child whom the Pharaoh's daughter named Moses not killed, but his mother was given the opportunity to take care of him before he was moved to the Pharaoh's house to be cared for by the Pharaoh's daughter. And in the time that Moses spent with his mother, he was taught that he was really a Jew. And that fact came into play a few verses later in Exodus chapter 2, verse eleven fifteen, that says, now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when the Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So Moses stayed in the land of Midian for 40 years until the Lord called him to go back to Egypt to tell the Pharaoh to release the Jews from slavery and allow them to leave Egypt. And when Moses told the Pharaoh to release the Jews, the Pharaoh agreed to do so at first, but then he changed his mind and would not let the people go. So God used the forces of nature to convince the pharaoh by destroying the land of Egypt in ten plagues. Now in the first plague, God turned all the rivers in Egypt into blood. After the pharaoh agreed to let the Jews leave Egypt, Moses prayed and God turned the rivers back into water. But then the pharaoh changed his mind and would not let the Jews go. In the second plague, God caused frogs to overrun the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 8, verse 3 and 4 says, So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants. There were frogs everywhere. And so the Pharaoh agreed to let the Jews leave Egypt. Moses prayed and the frogs stopped coming up out of the river. But then the pharaoh changed his mind and would not let the Jews go. Now there were seven more plagues. A plague of lice everywhere, then flies everywhere. Then all the Egyptians were struck with boils, which are like blisters all over their skin. Then all the livestock of the Egyptians died. Then hail fell all over Egypt. Then a plague of locusts then a plague of darkness in which there was no light in Egypt or in any of the houses of any Egyptians for three days, although the Jews had light in their houses. The Pharaoh would agree to let the Jews go so that Moses would pray to have the plague taken away, but then each time the Pharaoh refused to let the Jews go. And God told Moses that the tenth plague would be the one to which the Pharaoh would respond. Exodus 11:4 through 7 records. <clears throat> then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all of the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt such as was not before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So God told the Israelites that he was sparing them from the death angel. God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 12, Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall all kill the lamb at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of their houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the lamb's flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now, the lamb that each Jewish family killed was a sacrifice. And the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the house designated the household as Jewish to the death angel who passed over the Jewish households as he went through Egypt, killing all the firstborn. God called this experience the Passover and commanded every Jew and all their descendants to commemorate their freedom from slavery every year by eating the Passover lamb every year at the time of the first Passover. The Passover commemoration was being kept by the Jews during the time of Jesus, and it is still being kept by the Jews today. Jesus started the commemoration that we call communion as a Christian replacement for the Jewish Passover. In the first Jewish Passover, an innocent lamb was killed, and his blood painted on the doorposts to protect the Israelites from the death angel. In Christian communion, the wine represents the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed to protect us from the consequences of sin, which is hell, which is called the second death. This lamb is not a, was not an animal lamb, but Jesus Christ himself, whom the scriptures call the Lamb of God. Rather than us being sent to hell for our sins, Jesus, the Lamb of God, sacrificed himself, dying in our place to make us eligible to go into the holy heavenly city, the New Jerusalem. Now listen to the vision of the Apostle John as he describes the place to which all Christians are going when they die. He writes in Revelation 21, 1 through 11, and 22 through 27, Now I I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he that sat on the throne, Jesus Christ, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And Jesus Christ said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give up the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a Jasper stone, clear as crystal. But I saw no temple in it for the Lord God almighty and the lamb, Jesus Christ, are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there and they shall bring the glory and, and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So God has a holy city prepared for those who are saved, who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we cannot earn or merit entrance into this holy heavenly city, but it is reserved for those of us who recognize their own personal sinfulness, who recognize that we are not worthy to enter the city, but who also recognize that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty that we owe for the sins that we have committed. To enter the holy heavenly city, we must believe that Jesus Christ physically sacrificed himself for our sins, which means that we must believe that which the New Testament tells us about the teachings of Jesus Christ and that how we should live is the truth. The New Testament tells us that we must also repent of our sins, which means that we must agree with God as to what sin is and that we must acknowledge that the sins which we have committed are wrong, and that we must apologize to God for committing sin, and then that we must do whatever can be done to repair the damage that we have caused by sinning, and then we resolve not to repeat the sin. If we do these things, the New Testament tells us that we are saved from the penalty and power of sin by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who died to pay the penalty for sin and sends us the Holy Spirit to give us the power to avoid our sins in the future. Now, no one is perfect in the avoidance of sin, but the Bible tells us in Second Peter chapter 3, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So now once we believe in Jesus Christ, our job as Christians is to grow in grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor in which he acts spontaneously and favorably toward us through no merit of our own. The ability to repent is a grace gift from our Lord Jesus Christ. And he sends us his Holy Spirit to help us to understand that which we should know, to remind us of all of our sins, and to remind us of our need to repent, to stay in good standing with the Lord. God does not expect Christians to be perfect, but he does command us to grow, to develop, to gain self-control as we become more mature and to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit rather than just doing whatever we want to do. Now, once we believe in Jesus Christ's sacrifice, repent of our sins, and resolve to grow in grace, we become Christians. Now, people can only become Christians by their own decision. The only person that knows whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ is you. The only person that knows whether you believe that you are a sinner and that you need to repent is you. Now, some people think that the biblical account of the life of Jesus Christ is just a story or a myth. Some people actually think that they should be able to go to heaven on their own merit because they think that the best people will get into heaven and that they are no worse than anyone else. Paul tells the Romans that many Jews don't actually believe in Jesus and think that they are righteous enough, meaning that they have followed God's law well enough to go into the heavenly city on their own merits. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, that the man that does these things shall live by them. Now, some people want to live in the next life receiving the reward that they earn according to their own good deeds they don't recognize that although they have done good deeds they are still sinners and that their good deeds don't cancel out their sins and god will condemn them not for their good deeds but for their sins we who are saved are trusting in jesus christ to save us from the penalty of our sins as he died to pay the penalty for our sins and then sent us the Holy Spirit to help us to live for God. Paul continues in Romans chapter 10. He says, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him, Jesus Christ, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all that call upon him. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So then the first thing that we must do to be saved is to call on the Lord. We have to believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and has been raised from the dead, and then we have to confess it. That is, we must tell others that we believe. Once we do that, once we believe in Jesus Christ and confess Him, we are saved from the penalty of our sins by His sacrifice on our behalf, and then we are going to the heavenly holy city rather than the lake of fire when we die. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit from God who helps us to understand the things that God says in his word and reminds us of our obligation to do the things that God wants us to do. Jesus Christ's death was a great enough sacrifice so that everyone can be saved, but everyone is not going to be saved. Only those who believe in his word in the truth and history written in the Bible, we'll be saved. So our salvation is a transaction between us and God. People can be saved, that is, people can decide to believe in Jesus Christ anywhere, not just in church. I myself was saved at the Michigan State University Library, studying the history of Jesus Christ, not because of a sermon, but because of a challenge from someone that I knew. Listen to that which happened when Jesus was on the cross in Luke chapter 23. The Bible says then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus told the criminal that he would be in paradise that very day with him. The criminal was on the cross, not in church. And so his case tells us that you don't have to be in church to be saved. However, keep in mind that there were two thieves. One was saved and one was not. Salvation is a gift from God. Listen to that which Paul tells us about what happened to the Jews that persecuted the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Jesus Christ, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us, to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost now what happens when people fill up the measure of their sins God refuses to grant them repentance some people like the second thief on the cross will not repent because they cannot repent. They are like the Pharaoh in Egypt upon whom God sent the plagues. Listen to what the Pharaoh did when Moses prayed to stop the second plague, the plague of the frogs, in Exodus chapter 8, verse 13 through 15. The Bible says that the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out in the houses, out of the courtyards and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when the Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Now, the Pharaoh agreed to let the Jews go. But when there was relief, the Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Jews. The same thing happened at the end of the third plague and the fourth plague and the fifth plague. But listen to what happened at the end of the sixth plague, the plague of boils in Exodus chapter 9, 11 and 12. The Bible says, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just that the Lord had spoken to Moses. So after the sixth plague, the Bible does not say that Pharaoh hardened his heart, but it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Pharaoh had filled up the measure of his sins, as 1 Thessalonians 2.16 says, and the Pharaoh no longer had the ability to repent. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 15 tells us, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We should accept Jesus Christ today. God has made the plan of salvation clear to us today. I've talked about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for our sins. I've talked about the Holy Spirit and his mystery that grants us the ability to understand the Word of God and to repent of our sins. These things are a gift from God and they are available to us today. They will probably be available to us tomorrow, but tomorrow is not promised to us. There may not be a tomorrow. Listen to Jesus. In Matthew twenty-four, thirty-seven through to forty-four, Jesus says, "But as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Be, for in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming. Of, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be." Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus tells us that today is the day to get ready. But now that I've told you all this, let me tell you why children don't take communion in the church, which was our original question. The reason that children don't take communion is that they have not confessed their belief in Jesus Christ to the church. Only you can decide whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ. I can tell you about Jesus Christ, but I can't make you believe in him. Now, when I was a boy, I went to church, but I did not believe in Jesus Christ. You see, when I was a boy... My parents told me that Santa Claus came down the chimney at Christmas time and brought me presents. When I found out that that was not true, I became a skeptic. I didn't believe anything else that they said unless I could prove to myself that it was true. If what they told me did not sound believable, I didn't believe it. A man rising from the dead did not sound believable to me, so I didn't believe it. But when I was adult, however, a person that I respected convinced me to investigate the truth of the claims of Jesus Christ, and I did so. The historical evidence that I studied since that day has convinced me that Jesus Christ was a real person, and that the New Testament is just as much of a factual account of what actually happened as any account of any event about which I could read in a history book or in a newspaper. People who were scared to die before Jesus died talked to Jesus after he rose from the dead, and then they weren't scared to die anymore. Thousands, if not millions of people, died voluntarily, chose, in fact, to be executed, rather than choosing to tell the Roman government that they did not believe in Jesus Christ. They could have just said that they did not believe and kept believing anyway, but they rather chose to be executed rather than lie. So many people died confessing their belief in Jesus Christ that eventually the Roman emperor was convinced that they were right. Rome became a Christian empire and the Roman Catholic Church is still in operation today. The history of Jesus Christ has changed the course of human civilization. And it is because of the truth of the testimony of the disciples in the gospels and millions of lives that have been changed by their belief in Jesus Christ. So I believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you about him. However, you must reach the point in which you believe for yourself. Paul tells us in Romans 10 and 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, And if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I can't confess Jesus Christ for you. Neither your mother or father, your grandmother or your great-grandmother can confess Jesus Christ for you. No one can confess Jesus Christ for you. You have to make up your own mind. And if you make up your mind to believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he died to pay the penalty that you owe for your sins and that he rose from the dead physically, you can let me know and I will see to it that you are baptized and can take communion. All of us that take communion have made up our minds to believe in Jesus Christ. That's why we come to church and that's why we try to do that which Jesus Christ wants us to do. Some days we do pretty well, and some days we fail, but we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is what he wants us to do, and that is what I invite you to do. We have our question and answer period, so that if you have doubts about the truth of the gospel or about anything that the Bible says, I can answer all your questions. I wish that someone had answered mine when I was a kid, but I just want you to know that I can stand here and say with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind, because I know, because I know, because I know, because I know, that although the wages of sin is death, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I know that my sin is forgiven because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for the history that you have given us, for the biblical history, for the secular history, for the history of the world that you have given us that we can go to the library and look up and we can read the writings of those who were there and those who saw the effects of what happened because you came to the earth and lived a life and then died on the cross that our sins might be forgiven and then rose physically from the dead that we might believe in you and thus have a right and a just right to the tree of life and Lord we just want to thank you today that you have given us this information so that we ought, so that we can know how we ought to live as well. We just ask you, Lord, that you help all that are in the house today to recognize the reality of your resurrection, the truth of the history of your life, and help us to be on your side. Help us to confess that you are, Lord, that we believe in you, that we might be saved and go to that holy heavenly city when we die rather than the lake of fire. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you to give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and thank God. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you brought us back out to the house of prayer, that you've given us a lesson, and that you've given us questions that we can ask and answer, and and that you've given us clarity about your word and about uh, that which you have in store for us. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help us as we prepare for uh, the next life during this life, that we might have the focus on you that we require to please you. And we're praying for uh, Dr. Allen and. uh, also for his wife who's writing a book that's coming out soon and we ask you Lord that in her negotiations with the publishers and all those things that uh, she will be successful in that we just thank you Lord for uh, that which is going on with her and we ask you that you bless them praying for Sister Allen Lord we ask you that you continue to uh, help her to recover from her uh, physical situation, the fall that she had and so that you give her the activity of her limbs once again uh, allow her to be able to walk well, even, even with or without uh, her walking apparatus. And thank you for her presence and for the grandkids that are here today. We're praying for Seneca and Tukika. We're asking you, Lord, that you bless them in their situation. We're also uh, praying for Gina Sanchez and her sister, Victoria, uh, who are involved in uh, transferring kidney from Victoria to Gina. And we're asking you, Lord, that uh, you would give the surgeon skill, that you give the hospital uh, caring as they Uh, Take those two women and uh, change parts from one to the other. We ask the Lord that you be in the mix, let all go well, and we just want to thank you for it. Praying for Sister Artis as she is continuing to recover uh, from her broken ankle, continue to bless her, and we're praying for uh, Jovi and Roshni and Zakaya. We're just asking you that you bless those young children. Of course, we pray for Dennis as well, and we ask you that you just go with all of them and help their uh, help their guardians to train them in the way that they should go so that when they get old they would not depart from it and we want to thank you for that as well just bless Sister allen and all that she's concerned about we thank you that her father has recovered well and that all uh, the is going and all the things that are going well for her we just want to thank you for now we're praying lord for those for whom my wife is concerned mother z we thank you that uh, her uh, cancer situation has uh... uh has improved and that she can be treated with radiation and doesn't have to go through a lengthy surgery and recovery. We just ask you, Lord, that you go with her in her senior years and just bless her in that situation. We're praying for Mother Burser as well, continue to bless her in her situation. And we're asking you, Lord, that you give Marie's mother comfort this week as she has to take some tests and uh, find out what's uh, what's going on in her lung. And we ask you, Lord, that all would be benign, that that the report would be good, and That everything would go well. We just ask you, Lord, that you continue to give her longevity uh, of life and allow them to enjoy their relationship and their time together. We just ask you, Lord, that you go with her and stand by her. Keep her safe up there in Pontiac with all that she does. Now, we're also praying for those that my wife has asked us to pray for from our dance community, for Gus and Darlene and Velma. We ask you that you uh, bless Sister Watson, and she's down in uh, in the south uh, at the bereavement of her brother and we ask you Lord that you comfort the family just go with them and stand by them and we ask you Lord that you bless uh, Sister Darlene as she is rearranging her life and we ask you that you'd be in the mix uh, give her guidance and give her direction and then give her comfort and give her peace in that which she is doing and help her to do something that you would find uh, uh, pleasing in her sight and we're also praying for Gus who's in Grand Rapids looking for a job we ask you that you make ways and means for him uh, to be able to support himself and his family. And we ask you, Lord, uh, that you'd bless these, and for those who uh, go out on the dance floor with us, we ask that you keep us all safe. Now, Lord, we're asking you that you'd uh, bless my son and also those whom he's concerned with, uh, Eric, who's moving coming back to work this week and has a great distance between himself and his family. And we ask you that you would help them uh, to figure out a good way to close the distance. That they might be able to all get back together in the right kind of domicile and and we just pray for that young man that they have there and help them to raise him in the way that he should go as well. We're continuing in prayer for Brian Maynard Brian Maynard, asking you to continue to bless him as well. Thank you, Lord, that Brother Edwards has been able to make it back from all of his many travels and that the boys are doing well. We ask you, Lord, that you'd allow them uh, to do well in the end of their school year and their studies. uh, make them able to have a good summer this summer because of uh, their good grades coming out of school and we want to thank you for that as well praying for uh, sister Kim asking to bless her in her need and just go with her and stand by her and all that she does just be with her this morning and Brother Edwards as he takes on new ventures and new endeavors we ask you that you give him skill in that which he does keep him safe from all hurt harm and danger give him traveling mercies on the dangerous highways and on the roads and on the tracks. Just go with him and be with him in all that he does. Pray for brother Lee and his family as they are traveling this week and all that they are concerned about. We ask you, Lord, that uh, you would give them an enjoyable time there at their graduate son's graduation. Allow the fellowship to be well and allow them to uh, have a good allow uh, dares to have a good end to his college career and move on to the next phase in his life and we ask you that you give them traveling mercies. As they're traveling over the dangerous highways back from uh, Pennsylvania. we just asking the Lord to keep them safe from all hurt, harm, and danger. Go with all that they have uh, uh, that are uh, in their concern. And we also pray for Cedric's next year in school. Let all things go well for him as he is considering the various places that he's going to go. And let all the scholarships and all of the grants and aid come in as they need them that he might be able to make the choice that he wants. Thanking you, Lord, that uh, Brother and Sister McClure made it back uh, from St. Louis this morning, that all was well with the graduation, and we're praying that uh, Janelle would enjoy her summer as she gets ready for her next big move, and we ask you, Lord, that uh, you would navigate her circumstances so that her next move uh, might be one that is both pleasing in your sight and in hers, and one in her parents' sight as well. Thank you, Lord, for J.J., who's here, and asking you that you continue to bless him and allow him to have a good summer or a good time out of school and prepare him for going back in the fall. And we're also praying, praying for Tommy Wells, who's had complications from his liver transplant. And We're asking the Lord that uh, you be with the doctors that are trying to decide what to do and that you would give them the right solution for the problem. And we just ask you, Lord, that you go with him and stand by him and give him a good recovery from that situation, that he might be able uh, to do that which it is Uh, that you have in mind for him to do as he recovers from his liver transplant. We just want to thank you for that as well. Now, we want to thank you also uh, for the Winston family who is here today. Thank you for Brother Winston and Sister Winston. And we just want to ask you that you continue to uh, go with Brother Winston and stand by him as he is dealing with that uh, knee situation. We ask you to give him strength and that you give him peace, that you give him relief from pain, and that you give him that which he requires that they might be able to uh, continue to enjoy their time together. Just bless them, go with them and stand by them in all that they do, and we thank you for it this morning. And Lord, I'm praying for dad down in Chicago, for brother Marvin out in, the, in uh, North Carolina. We're praying for the rest of the family down in Gary and in Chicago. We're asking that you bless them all and continue to bless Aunt Barbara. She's doing better with her Alzheimer's and uh, seems to be have, having more lucid moments, and we just thank you lord for that and we ask you that you'd allow that recovery to come more that she might be able to uh, enjoy these this time that she has with her husband we just thank you for that as well we're praying for the perkins down in louisiana and for brother northern down in texas and asking you that you'd bless them as those areas of the country are going through some weather problems and we just ask you that you keep them safe from hurt harm and danger in that form we just ask you that you go with them and stand by them we're also praying for Diane, whom uh, Brother uh, Meeks has asked us to pray for over the internet, I'm also praying for Brother Porter, Reverend G. L. Porter, who's in England medical. Asking that you continue to allow him to recover, that he might be able to get back to his congregation. And now, Lord, we are just praying for our little church that we have right here. We're asking that you bless us all, uh, as we have sat here and the things that you have given us, that we might be able uh, to make your word plain and. Um, ask you to help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're praying uh, for the television station and for the armed forces overseas and for the people in our neighborhood, for the salvation of our families and friends. And Lord, now I'm praying for my wife, who's the love of my life. Bind us together with cords of love that cannot be broken. Give us traveling mercies this week as we have to go out of town and come back and help us to make that trip safely and to enjoy ourselves and come back at the appointed time. And now, Lord, uh, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and thank God. On the great judgment day, When God is judging the sins of the whole world, he has promised to pass over our sins because of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And as we commemorate his sacrifice with this bread and wine, let us remember all that he has done for us. And let us remember him now as we eat, and drink together. Now, the, the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, rest in the Bible with us now, henceforth and forevermore, let every heart say, Amen.